Hey guys, welcome to the I Hope to Hear This podcast. And today I have one of my closest friends with me, Andrew Kim. He is a consultant in the DC area. And today we, we actually just have a really good time talking about our childhood, um, what it was like growing up together, and how we met, and kind of the ways that we impacted each other in very meaningful and irrevocable ways. And we also get into some of the hardships that Andrew went through in college and how he overcame those hardships to be one of the most successful people I know. So thank you guys so much for tuning in and I hope you enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to the I Hope They Hear This podcast. And today's episode is a, is a huge treat for me because uh, one of my closest friends, Andrew Kim, is on. Hello, Andrew. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, you are coming to us from Washington, or you call it the DMV, right? Yeah, so DMV stands for uh, DC, Maryland, Virginia. Um, yeah. So I'm like right outside of Washington, DC. So I live in uh, yeah. technically Arlington. So it's like right across the river from DC. So, yeah. And like, like I said, you are actually one of my oldest, closest friends. You were groomsman at my wedding. Mm-hmm. You, you even gave a speech um, at my at the res, not the reception. The what's the other one called? Is it the reception? Yeah, yeah the reception. reception. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, we we have a very long history, and um. I've been wanting you to be on the podcast for a long time, but you hesitated and you <laughs> kept saying no. I, for, I finally wore you down. No, it's because so. I hold your uh, podcast in such high regard that I, I wouldn't want to <laughs> bring it down by keep coming on here. But yeah, I mean, I'm excited to be on here. So thank you. For yeah. So let's start from, I, I just, I actually, the focal point of this podcast, I want it to be kind of your story and... I feel like you have had some missteps in life. I mean, nothing major, but like um, you kind of you've had plans, right? But you've kind of sidetracked. But and it, it took you a little bit to like, for example, like graduating college. It took you a little bit longer than other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but you right now, probably one of the most successful friends that I have. Um, and I think it just speaks a lot to your character and your personality. Um, so I, I wanted to showcase that kind of as a focal point today. But in doing that, I think we can weave together kind of how we met and, you know, like our long history with each other. So let, let's talk about how we met because it's it's pretty, it was very interesting how we met. Do you remember like the first day we, we met each other? I do. And uh, I hope people don't think I'm a creep for remembering this, but... Dude, we met, um, this is my version of the story anyways, mm-hmm. is uh, we met, I think it was like second semester of sixth grade. I think you came to Georgia, right, in the middle of the year. Mm-hmm. And um, it just so happened that we were both Korean. Um, and <laughs> I think our schedules were like identical. Yeah. So like, I think our teacher saw that our schedules were identical. So she like asked me like, oh, Andrew, do you want to? you know, kind of show David around, um, get him like acclimated to the school and stuff like that. So me being the great uh, friend I am, um, <laughs> you know, obliged and dude, and I'm really thankful for that day because, uh, you know, I made one of my, my, you know, my closest friends there. But, um, oh, I, I remember another, I remember what shoes I was wearing that day. That's that's a little weird. What a random fact. There were some, this was like 20 years ago. <laughs> dude, that was, it was probably, what, 21 years ago now. Holy crap. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there were, there were a pair of Reebok pumps. And uh, the reason I remember them, because I remember I was like, walking down the hallway to uh, show you how to open lockers. That's and, right. And I remember there was like a loud squeak from one of them. And I was like, man, <laughs> I was like thinking in my head, this kid probably thinks my shoes suck. <laughs> Um, and this is before, like, you know, this is when we're at, like, these were actually, like, somewhat new, like, you know, Reebok pumps, they weren't retros, so they weren't really, you know, like, highly regarded or anything like that, um, but, yeah, that's my Yeah, I, it's, it's weird to think about now because, um, 
I think the first day of school in Atlanta for me, mm-hmm. I hated it. I, I was groggy because there's that three hour time difference. <laughs> so I was tired, first of all. Because what our school started at like what, like 825, right? I don't, Something like yeah, that. I don't remember. That would have been like 525 mm-hmm. for my normal schedule coming from LA. And I just didn't want to have, I didn't want like to like meet anybody. I didn't want to make any new friends. I was kind of resentful toward my parents about having moved here. But I, one thing I remember about you is when the teacher said, Hey, Andrew, can you show David around? You were so enthusiastic and you were like, so like <laughs> nice and happy about it. It, t- it kind of took me aback a little bit. I was like, Oh, I guess this is the, the yeah. Southern hospitality that they keep talking about. Dude, were you, were you thinking in your head, like, man, this kid definitely doesn't have any friends. <laughs> no, 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 no. I just, I just remember thinking, okay, this guy is gonna show me around, and we're probably never gonna talk again. That, that honestly was one of the first thoughts I had. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I think throughout the year, just because we were in so many classes together, we, we got to know each other pretty well. Like, you know, um, you were the one who brought me to church for the first time. So I, I had attended church in LA, but it was mostly just kind of social and to meet people right. but the church that you took me to mm-hmm. back, back when we were in sixth grade is the church that i'm still attending now yeah the, the name the name has changed but right, right it's the same church yeah yeah so That's i mean crazy. i guess i'm partially responsible for your salvation right <laughs> I, I'm, you I'm, I'm, I'm completely joking <laughs> uh, disclaimer david is a god-loving and fearing man and that is all uh, it's all him so <laughs> No, I, I credit a lot of it to you, honestly, because, um, yeah, if I, I think if you hadn't invited me, mm-hmm. then I think that was the right time for me to go to church. Mm-hmm. If you had invited me like two years later, I don't think I would have gone, to be honest. Really? Why? Yeah, because I, I was just vulnerable enough and seeking community enough mm-hmm. to give it a try. But if I had established myself enough with like a friend group at school, mm-hmm. um, like several years into being in Atlanta, I think I would have been like, I don't need it. I don't like, I don't even want to explore it, you know? Dang. And yeah. you never told me that. Okay. Oh yeah. 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 I, dude, I, I think back on our, our times at NSBC and dude, those, it was like, our church was so small. But like yeah. that community was just like so like close knit, and it was. I just remember it was so so awesome. I have so many good memories there. Yeah. But uh, dude, that's awesome that you know, you know, you stayed there and you grew with the church um, as it's grown a lot, obviously. Yeah. And uh, dude, you met some key people in your life there. So. Ah, I met my wife there. So. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. I mean, you can't. Most importantly, me. Kind of, but um, yeah, you know, close second is your wife. Um, yeah, you know, some you know what's crazy? Uh-huh. You know, uh, in Pastor Choi's office, mm-hmm. he still has like a church photo, mm-hmm. um, and I'm like right in the middle for some reason in the front. And I, Pastor Choi always says, you know, the day that we took that photo, I, I asked myself, who is this random kid who keeps coming to our church without his parents? And, you know. <laughs> Like twenty years later, like uh-huh. like I'm still at the church. I still see him yeah. weekly. And, yeah, and your parents are there now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. my my dad and yeah, both of them are very involved in the church. Yeah, yeah, I know. Dude, you've you've changed our lives in a very significant yeah, way. I'm, <laughs> I'm not gonna take credit for that, but no, I'm I'm really happy for for that. Yeah, yeah, and you know, um, I think growing up with you, um, I have a lot of fond memories too, and one <laughs> that always comes to mind is we used to play in your neighborhood and we used to have these razor scooters oh my played with <laughs> all the time. I, I remember this as well and there was like leading into your neighborhood your house was kind of at the end um in a cul-de-sac right but leading up to it there's a really nice hill that you can use to gain speed and you know, race and things like that mm-hmm. and i remember we like Fast and the Furious had just come out, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like we couldn't drive, so we were like uh, pretending like we were racing on the scooters. Right, and we would scream "Nas" as we pedal faster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I remember a trick 
and it wasn't even really a trick, but something I would pull on you often is um, if I see that you're about to win, because your driveway, like right where it started, was kind of the finish line. Mm-hmm. I would intentionally fall into the grass and like act like I was hurt, and then you would stop. And as you're coming toward me, mm-hmm. I would hop back on my scooter <laughs> and then speed to the finish line. I remember that actually. I, f- I feel like I've done it multiple times, but you still, like, stopped and came back for me every time. Like, you probably knew, caught on, that I was just trying to trick you, but I think it speaks to your character that you still always came back for me. Well, I appreciate that, but I will tell you now that I think I've learned my lesson, and if I see a child on a Razor scooter fall, <laughs> I am not helping him or her. <laughs> um but there that's that's so funny that you bring it up because i still remember that like those moments vividly so yeah it's uh really good fond memories of growing up in, in a public yeah. service announcement to the listeners um it just speaks to david's character that he is a, a conni- conniving type of person <laughs> or he was once upon a time right yes yes i was <laughs> you know um we had we had this conversation before um where I I told you that I feel like I would have been a sociopath. Do you remember this conversation? Uh, it was just before Aisley was born. I, I was visiting you in DC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think we had a conversation in the car where I said, "Okay, yeah, I do remember now." Yeah, dude. So let's be honest here. Um, now that we're on this podcast mm-hmm. and we have a reason to be very deep <laughs> and and honest okay do, do you feel like i was like i was kind of i guess the word was selfish do you feel like i was kind of selfish back then um i wouldn't say i don't know if selfish is the right word i mean you were very different than you are now mm-hmm. um you were a lot more i would say yeah a little closed off uh and i don't say this as like this like this was like arrogance, but like maybe a little more self-centered. Mm. Um, but I, you know, it wasn't to the point where like, you know, it was really bad. Obviously, because you know we became friends, and I think yeah. it just took time for you to kind of open up, at least to me, right? Um, but the, like I look at it now, and it's funny when you mention those words because. You know, that's like the opposite of what you are. Um, you're actually one of the most selfless people I know. Um, Thank you. But yeah, it, so for all the listeners out there, David was a very uh, different person um, when yeah. I met him. Can I, I can I share a story? Of course. Okay, so I guess like just going back to middle school, um, I wouldn't say you're a sociopath, but... You know, he's very, he, David had this, like, very, uh, he, was, he was, like, quiet, yet he was, like, he gave this pissed off kind of look, vibe. <laughs> and I just, I, I, anyways, I remember, I mean, I wouldn't say we, you know, some, some of us at that age were kind of little punks back then, start trouble. Um, and I just remember there was this one incident where, uh, I think you got like pushed or something, right? Into uh, into a locker or something. Um, um, and no, no, it was um, somebody like need me in my stomach. Oh, why? Do you remember why? I don't. No, I'm but I do remember the story you're about to tell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I think uh, I've never seen David that angry before in my life, and um, usually, like. I don't, you know, advocate violence or anything like that. But I think when I was 11 or 12, I did. Um, and usually I would be like, oh, dude, like, let's get him. But I've just never seen David that angry. And I just didn't see him as the type of person that, you know, would, you know, physically hurt someone. Right? Maybe maybe only because, like, maybe because we were friends and I've only seen the good side of you. But, um David was like going after that guy and I remember I made a split uh, decision right then and there to uh, I, I stopped you and I said David it's not worth it or something like that yeah so <laughs> the way that I remember it is 
It was right after a, a class had ended. I think it might have been the last class of the day. Uh-huh. And, you know, when the class ends, everyone's flooding out into the hallway. Yeah. As I was going to my locker or something, this guy, he, like, pulled me aside and just, like, kneed me in my stomach. And he, was, he wasn't that big of a guy. Like, I'm pretty... I think I was pretty timid, but it was a pretty small, scrawny guy. So I had no hesitation in terms of being okay with going after this guy. Mm-hmm. Like, I, in my head, I was like, I will pummel this kid. Right. And I will make him pay, right? So I think that's probably what you saw in my eyes. But as the flood of... Like, as the river, like, flow of people were passing by me, mm-hmm. and I was going after this kid... Somebody from that river like pulled me in and then like dragged me away. And in that moment, I was like, "Who is this?" But it was you. So like, I, I was like really upset that someone pulled me away. But you, it was you. And so I was like, "Well, he's a friend. I'm not gonna try to uh-huh. <laughs> fight him or anything, right?" And then you took me away. And then, and then, I don't remember the words you said, but it it was something along the lines of, "It's not worth it." Yeah. That's uh to this day this single biggest regret i have in my life i should have seen what uh, what played out that day but um you know but you know can i say this i think that and i'm not even kidding i think that changed the trajectory of my life oh, i agree 100 percent. yeah yeah <laughs> I, I really do think if i got into that fight mm-hmm. i think i would have been okay with fighting anybody like at school moving forward but to this i mean i've never gotten in a physical to not a major physical altercation with anybody <laughs> at school. Yeah, and I think the the fact that you pulled me off off that guy mm-hmm. that day has had a lot to do with it. Well, I'll take credit for that. But uh, yeah. the 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 running joke um, that we always joke about when we talk about this is, uh, who knows what David would have become if uh, yeah if that, if that fight happened. Um, <laughs> I, so I, right. I take it to the extreme. And I say you know he could be a I don't know drug addict or drug dealer or whatever you know um a yeah. criminal in, in prison right now but uh all thanks to me uh yeah became a great I man so. great father yeah. great husband so i'll take it you 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 definitely have had a lot of irrevocable impact in my life for sure i mean just those two things alone um taking me to church um, making me making sure that I didn't fight this kid. Yeah, huge, huge. So, so let's let's then kind of shift gears into talking about what I alluded to when we started this podcast mm-hmm. about kind of um, and this is kind of okay. Don't take this the wrong way, mm-hmm. but when I say that um, you changed the trajectory of my life, I think if you didn't pull me off that guy, it would have veered closer to. The, the trajectory that you were on for a little bit. <laughs> for a little bit. Um, yeah. No, I agree. Um, yeah. But we can talk about this now because you've completely, like, turned... You're not on that trajectory anymore. You're obviously not a drug addict or a drug dealer or anything like that. Um, but I, I, what, there was kind of a time where you were, like, dabbling in the darker side of things, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to talk about that. I don't, I don't, yeah. like you said, it's, it's part of my past. So that's, you know, mm. a long time ago. So I, I'm not really too worried about talking about it. Um, yeah. yeah. So I guess if we just talk about trajectory, um, you know, you and I, we had similar upbringings. We grew up in the same area, attended the same schools. Um, and I think that trajectory was like pretty, like, you know, we were in line with each other up until maybe like early to mid high school, Mm. right? And I think it just became, you know, like the the group of friends we had outside of each other. Um, So it's hard to explain why that happened. Um, Yeah, like I got got more involved with not like, I mean, some were like kind of quote unquote bad. But others were not just, they weren't bad people per se, but, you know, yeah, they yeah, just, sure. they had different, you know, priorities than, you know, what our parents, uh, you know, uh, put on us. So, um, yeah, been, like, you know, I started hanging out with kids that like, you know, would, uh, like skip school or like smoke cigarettes and stuff like that. 
Um, yeah, so, and I think, you know, that, like, as you make those group of friends at such a young age of, like, you know, 13, 14, 15, you know, they, especially if they're not, like, bad people, you know, you maintain those friendships and they kind like, I truly, I truly believe, like, you know, you are who you surround yourself with, you know? Yeah. So, you know, you get, you get involved in things that, um, you know, that your friends are, are doing at the time. So, you know, that trickled on, let's just kind of fast forward to like college. Yeah. Um, so like, you know, we both got into the same school, right? Um, so we, so, I mean, like everything there, up to there at that point, it's like, okay. Like it's just like little things where like, you know, maybe they were like, like you got invites or something um or like you know you smoke cigarettes like it's nothing like you know like okay this kid's like ending up in prison kind yeah. of deal. well yeah. actually i think our parents thought that <laughs> but um you know you think of it like you th- like if i look at a high schooler now and he's like smoking cigarettes and skipping school or whatever i wouldn't necessarily be like oh you know this kid's gonna end up to become a delinquent you know person in right. society partially because you know i i went through that and um, anyway, so so college happened, and um, you know that's the first time that you're kind of you know like you're outside of your parents' house and you have all this freedom that you've never had before. Hmm. Um, so that's where I think it really just I kind of really went off the rails. Hmm. Um, you know that's when I think I started drinking. Um, some kids like I know they start drinking like middle school, high school. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't start really drinking, um, you know, socially until college and, um, nothing wrong with that, but I, I think the biggest thing that I guess I wanted to talk about was, um, my first, my first year of college did not do the best. Um, (laughs) we went to a pretty tough school, so, but, uh, second year I kind of got my stuff together, but that's when I got introduced to uh i remember uh i remember the first day it happened is i got introduced to like poker and gambling and i still remember to this day where i think the first like exposure of it i got was uh one of my roommates i will not name him but he's also a dear friend of ours (laughs) um one of my roommates was playing online poker in his room and I was like watching him play and I was like oh so like is it just like a game on the computer and he's like no this is like for real money you're playing for real money against people and I'm like okay um I mean I know how to play poker like how hard could it be Hmm. so I think I deposited like a hundred dollars into poker stars um (laughs) and I I think I I played and I won like two hundred dollars in like 20 minutes or something wow I was like dude like I just hit jackpot like this is easy (laughs) (laughs) um and that's where like my interest in uh like poker and gambling happened and then wait so when that happened when you got introduced to that was something going on because I I remember it was a some something that everyone was doing um people were inviting each other to play um like games at their houses and dropping pretty significant cash yeah so was there something happening yeah. no so like I, I guess uh so that's fast forwarding a little bit so that's kind of like okay, my introducing okay. to like poker itself so let me just okay. fast forward to i guess like then through that my interest in poker grew and then like you know i started meeting people that played and that kind of led to like live games and mm. you know at first it'd be like you know just for you know, like little to no money. Cause we're obviously we're in mm. college. We don't make money at the time, you know? Yeah. Um, and then I remember when I was like about 19, um, I had a select group of friends that were, I guess like, you know, it, kind of into in that scene. Um, and they were doing it with adults. Like they were my age, but they were doing it with adults uh, for bigger money. And we, I still remember it was a, it's like some random bar in Tucker in Tucker, Georgia. And uh, we went there and it was a one, two uh, blind poker game. And I remember uh, like I played and I would see my friends like working when I say work, 
they would be like dealing uh oh, sorry yeah. i was getting a phone call um that's okay yeah so they're dealing cards and the, the, the point of the story is like i just realized like you know like how much money you can make so fast there like you can mm-hmm. you can have like a good night and make like you know 500 to like a thousand dollars and this is just the beginning right In a single night yeah and then especially as a college kid you know that's like a pretty big deal that's a lot of money um so yeah that's kind of where i got introduced to all that and i remember the following year in in school um i was thinking to myself like man like i would love to like have like a certain amount of money saved up Hmm. and just kind of like live life pretty good and go to school at the same time so i made the the genius idea of um and and not telling my parents um please for anyone who listens to this and knows my parents let's not repeat um (laughs) that you know i would take a semester off and kind of just do this like whole like poker thing Mm -hmm. right through working and then you know playing cards or whatever um just save up a bunch of money um and dude like i i made and spent probably the like the most money i have at my life until that point Mm. um and and if you think about like like that lifestyle like what it entails it's not conducive to like everyday life because like these games as you can imagine happen at night right mm. they start at like 9 10 p.m or whatever and they go to like five six like sometimes noon the next day mm-hmm. so literally you're up all night sleeping during the day kind of thing um and then another problem with it is you actually end up gambling it yourself mm. right and you're gambling way above your bankroll or what you can really afford to lose. Uh, but when you're, you know, 19, 20, whatever, 21 years old, like you're like fearless. You're like, you know, yeah. I don't care if I go broke. Yeah. Maybe that was just me because I'm dumb, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I vividly remember kind of this part of your life because mm-hmm. I remember we talked about it. You kind of thinking about, hey, should I? should I take a semester off to do this poker thing to save up money? You said yes. I rem- <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm sure I said that's a terrible idea. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm kidding. I said, that. I yeah, I think I was very adamant, hey man, don't do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you did it anyway. And I think what ended up happening is, so at the time, our, our friend, our other friend, Daniel Hong, me and Daniel Hong, we had an apartment in like Buckhead. Yeah. Um, it was a two bedroom, but you needed a place to stay because your parents thought that you were still going to school. You hadn't told them. So mm-hmm. we got like a really cheap shower curtain. We literally uh, blocked off like one end of the living room and said, you can, you can live here. Right. But literally all that fit there was uh, a, bed, a mattress. Right. Yeah. And that was it. And you had access to the uh, patio. But I remember I almost never saw you awake. Yeah, because like, Cause like I'd, was... I'd be awake when you're sleeping and mm-hmm. I'd be sleeping when you're awake, yeah. Because when me and Daniel were off to class uh, at school, mm-hmm. like you'd be sleeping and we'd come back and you're still you know, sleeping most of the time and you'd be up and about at like dinner time and then you'd get ready, go do your stuff and things like that. So mm-hmm. yeah, you were pretty nocturnal during that time period, right? Yeah, and I think that's where my life really started spiraling kind of out of control was, you know, like if you're up between the hours of 10 and, you know, whatever, like the wee hours of the morning, there's not many things you're going to be doing that's that productive, right? Unless you're like going to like a job that requires a night shift, which is sometimes what I was doing, but sometimes I was going out for entertainment, right? At that time. So if you think about it, a lot of the things that you'll be doing at the time, you know, involves maybe like alcohol or even other stuff. And, um yeah dude i was i was not doing anything constructive with my time Mm. um and i would say 
like the, the the hardest challenge of it all was eventually I think I kind of like smartened up and was like, hey, this isn't what I should be doing. Hmm. But the hardest part of it all was actually going back to the life that I, you know, the, the life trajectory or whatever that I should have been on the whole time and going back to school. Because um, one thing is like you start making that kind of money at it. Like not, and when I say like that kind of money, it's not like I have like, you know, like millions or anything like that. Like I, I mm. you know, to me, like a few thousand dollars was a lot then. Yeah. And so, you know, like one is, I think you lose, like there's two things. One is it was hard to go back to school and to like really just get disciplined to be like, hey, there's like, you know, there's stuff I have to do to get my school stuff done, right? Like yeah. we did that be like studying for like, you're studying for tests for like homework or whatever or even going to class, right? Yeah. Um, and then two is like, you don't want to lose that, you know, income that you have coming in. So you're like thinking, oh, maybe I'll kind of just like do it half part-time and then do like part-time school. But if you think about those schedules, you know, they just cannot work. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And you, mm-hmm. So a semester ended up becoming a year, right? Did, did, did you take a whole year off? Uh and uh so yeah so yeah that semester turned into a year um and i think after that it i tried to like i try to go back mm-hmm. um and when i say tries like i would start going back and then like i literally just not could not handle the load even and mm-hmm. i still had like other stuff going on like with the whole poker thing like i wasn't like completely out of it you know Mm-hmm. Um, and you know a lot of my close friends at the time were in that kind of stuff too so I would somehow kept getting like meal back in um, so that one year like like after that one year that next semester I would try to go back but that would end up having to withdraw from classes just because like I was doing so bad and, and you know because I wasn't putting the time I was even going to class yeah. Um, so I kept withdrawing and after you withdraw that semester is done for right so you got to wait till the next semester before you can you know re, re, re-enroll and stuff hmm. so dude that happened like I think that happened like three four three or four times oh wow yeah so if you think about it I think in total you know, that's literally like two and a half years hmm. maybe three gone you know hmm um so yeah for those of you that have wondered you know why i was in school for so long is is because of that i had a little setback um yeah yeah during college literally i mean in in terms of the amount of time that you were actually in school it wasn't that much it wasn't like longer than anyone else's it's just the fact that you had a big hole in, in in the middle of it right uh yeah for the most part i mean i think it, I, I did change majors um that's right, right like yeah. halfway through so that kind of maybe led to a little longer time um mm. but yeah in terms of like how many semesters i was actually like fully enrolled uh, it wouldn't mm. be that much different than a normal person i think so so you know like you talk about your schedule and how difficult that was um in, especially when you're trying to reacclimate to kind of normal life did that have an impact on your dating life at all? Because you were in relationships during this period of time, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, man, we're just just going really in depth here. Uh, Dude, I have a I have a funny story. I'll, I'll tell later. Okay. Go ahead. So yeah, actually, there was. So I think around this time, like early, you know, twenties. I think, I think I met someone, I was dating someone at the time that was what I would consider like, you know, I guess like a first love kind of deal. Like the first girl mm. that like you really, really liked. You could actually say mm. that you loved them. Um, and I mean, I of course acknowledge that after the fact, but basically because of this lifestyle that I was uh, leading, like I just, I just wasn't putting in the time and the effort and uh, treating her the way she deserved to be treated mm. you know if you can think about it like i would go hours like like 12 hours plus without responding um mm. you know i wouldn't be available during the day to like hang out with her because i was like sleeping 
Um, so yeah, I mean, I was, and I'm, I'm sure. Hey, is that, huh? Is that thunder? Yeah, it's about to storm really bad here oh, today. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Sorry, continue, mm -hmm. continue. Um, just saying. Okay, yeah, and so, yeah, so it obviously things ended eventually. Um, but yeah, I think I think that was another part of my life that was really hard because, like, I think I took that one, you know, that loss pretty hard because, uh, yeah. you know, she was the first girl that I really, really liked. I guess, you know, I lost her or I felt like I lost her because, you know, because of my actions, right? Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think after that, well, like, for the next, like, I, I took it really hard. I'm talking, like, maybe two, three, four years of trying to get over it kind of deal. And I'm sure... You've seen that. Uh, you've seen that firsthand uh, <laughs> yeah. many times. Uh, there was many nights where I would, I would come to your room, drunk, just wanting to have deep conversations. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, and I want to apologize to you because I'm sure there are many times where you're like, "Bro, it's like three in the morning. I don't want to talk <laughs> no. about the same thing that we talked about last night." Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, it's funny because you know one thing I do want to commend you for. I know I I know some of us make fun of you for this, but um, I commend you for the fact that you kind of are very in tune with your emotions. And I don't I don't mean that in a negative way at all. Um, and the way that you kind of demonstrated that is like there would be nights we would go out drinking, and like you would kind of open the floodgates of your emotions. And you would, I remember there was more than one occasion where, um, like we were coming back to our apartment, you are, you were on the floor of the parking lot, um, like crying. <laughs> uh, you're on mute, by the way, if, if you are <laughs> oh, <sorry>. crying <laughs> and, uh, you, yeah, like you're kind of pining for, or like calling out for kind of lost love. But like I think about that now, and I, I think that was that was kind of courageous, um, being that honest and open about your feelings and admitting that you loved this girl, admitting that you like blamed yourself and that you you like were very upset about it. Like I don't think any of our other friends would be that open to one another, right? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so I think. I think I've always been the type of guy that puts the saying like wears his heart on his sleeve kind of thing. Yeah. And I've had no problem with that. Like if I'm sad, I'll show it. If I'm mad, I'll show it. Um, yeah. It's a, I think it's a strength and a weakness. Strength being that you're like, you know, I guess like emotionally intelligent enough to kind of express your feelings when you need to. Whereas it's a bad thing because, you know, sometimes you need to keep stuff in right just to no, say I, I actually think it served well we'll get into this later mm -hmm. but this is my hypothesis i think it served you very well being that emotionally in tune because it's allowed you to be able to read other people like their emotions and it's helped you be you know like respond appropriately and things like that but but think about that while I, while I tell this story, okay. I think this is a, I didn't tell you for the longest time. I think I might've told you for the first time a year or two ago. Okay. But this was like at the height of your depression, your breakup induced depression. Um, mm -hmm. It was around the time where we were burning everything that reminded you of her in the, in the fireplace. <laughs> in the fireplace yeah. um, saying you got to forget about her uh -huh. um, and I remember looking at you and just feeling like oh he might cry like I think he might he's in a state emotionally heightened state where he might cry and it reminded me of the movie um, Good Will Hunting and there's a scene in Good Will Hunting where um, Will um, Matt Damon's character is in like therapy with Robin Williams character and they're just talking and Robin Williams, he's like, hey, it's not your fault. 
and uh, he just keeps saying it's not your fault it's not your fault and he matt damon ends up crying and it's like kind of a breakthrough because he had shouldered everything right um and now being able to admit that it wasn't his fault so i thought it would be, i thought you would get the joke um so i thought it'd be funny to break the tension <laughs> i was gonna say hey buddy hey bro it's not your fault and you were like what and i was like oh he doesn't get it i gotta repeat it for him to get it and so i said it's, it's not your fault bro and then you kept saying, what? what? Why are you saying that? And then I remember you kind of broke down in tears. And in that moment, I was too scared to tell you that it was a joke. It was a bit that I was doing. And we just, you're like, yeah, uh, it's not your fault. And then we kind of just like, let that moment be. But do you remember when I told you this for the first time? That yeah, it was a, yeah a bit I do that now I was doing? that you mentioned it. Um, and you know, part of the reason why I didn't understand what you were alluding to at the time was I don't mm. think at that time I've w- I watched Good Will Hunting. Mm. So yeah. <laughs> I think I watched it after you told me that story um, many, many <laughs> years later. And um, it's a great movie, obviously. Yeah. But... Sorry, man. <laughs> no, no, no. But, Dude, yeah. I just want to thank you for always being there for me when I needed it. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. But <laughs> so then let's... With, with all of that chaos and kind of turmoil and all that kind of happening, mm-hmm. I want to then get into and talk about how you were able to adjust back to the norm, but not and, and not only get through it, but kind of thrive, right? Because like I said before in the intro, you are one of, if not the most successful person that I know, um, at least career and, and like finance wise. And that's, that's not to say that success is 100% just predicated on how much money you're making. But um, I mean, you're, you're also like you're doing well in life, you know. Um, so just all around, you've gone from like really being upset, sad, depressed, unable to like get into the daily routine of things to, you know, thriving. Right. Mm-hmm. So can, can you kind of talk about the steps that it took for you to go from like rock bottom to to blossoming <laughs> so those are kind uh, kind use of words um so i appreciate that but um yeah so you know let's fast forward even to later like i was probably in my mid to like 25 26 ish at the time and um you know i started kind of getting my act together in terms of school Right. I got out of all the other stuff and I started actually, you know, focusing on school a little more. Um, but to be honest, I think the biggest motivator to kind of get everything back on track was uh, I met another girl. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess women have a big influence on my life. Um, yeah, like uh, I met another girl and um, yeah, like I, we we had a good relationship, at least I thought. <laughs> Um, and you know, I met her, you know, around that time, 26 and like, she just, she was, she was younger than me, but she had, you know, high goals, high aspirations for her life. And it just made me realize like, you know, well, well, she's not like, so she was studying to be a doctor or that was her, like her mm-hmm. goal at the time. Um, and I was like, you know, well, you know, a girl like that's not going to want to be with a guy that's you know, just, just doing whatever in life, you know? So that really motivated me to that. Like, it made me just want to be a better person. Right. And I think that's Mm -hmm. crucial in relationships, right. Whether it be professionally or, you know, even just, uh, I don't know, as like personality wise, just if they want you, if they want, if they motivate you just to better yourself, right. That's a very important Mm -hmm. thing to have in a relationship. Um, so yeah, that was the biggest driver. And I really, you know, I took that to heart and I, I, I actually tried. I, I knew that like graduating and uh, ultimately finding a job and stuff was my next big goal. Um, mm. So sorry about the background noise. It's, no, yeah, no. It's, it's thundering pretty hard here. Um, but yeah, uh, I think like it was maybe like a year or two after our relationship. Um, no, I, I did pretty well my last couple semesters and uh, graduated and uh, ended up getting, you know, it, it's, can I share a story about the, the job in my first job out of college? 
uh-huh. who was with a consulting slash software company. Um, and I remember they had a strict guideline on minimum GPAs. Mm. And my GPA in college was not the best for obvious reasons. Um, mm. You know, I messed up a lot. But uh, my my uh, major GPA was, met the bare minimum, right, which was a 3.0. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. So I put that on my resume, and I remember that I remember them asking me during my initial interview or the my initial screening. They're like, "Oh, like it says, you know, like your your uh, your major GPA is a 3.0. You know, what's your major like one? Because like we have like hard requirement on that." And I remember I like fabricated this elaborate story of, <laughs> of basically, obviously not what really happened, but you know of like how I had to like overcome hardships and stuff. And uh, yeah, like, and then I think they were really impressed by it. I think I really, I did a really good job making up a story there. And uh, yeah, that led me to my first job. And from there it's, you know, I think one thing I've learned since entering the workforce, even though it was late compared to my peers is I personally just like, I, I take pride in the work that I do. Um, mm-hmm like when it comes to like, you know, my work, work, like I take a lot of sense of ownership in it. Mm. And I feel like someone's reputation, at least in a professional setting, is very important. So I think that's kind of what's kind of elevated me through even as I left companies is like, people will always say like, Oh, like, you know, he's, he's a hard worker. Yeah. Which is interesting. Cause like not many people would say that in other aspects of my <laughs> life, you know? So, no, but not, not only that, I, I, I was going to attribute your success to your work ethic because I definitely do see that um, when you kind of get into something, you really do, like you said, um, take ownership and you, you go for it. Right. There's many times where um, where we'd be texting and it's late at night, but you're still working because you have to get something you know, pushed out or, or finished or whatever or the whatever the case was. Right. But I think another aspect of your another contributing factor of your success definitely has to be your personality um you're you're very you're very personable um you make people feel comfortable like when you talk to them um and like you're you're just fun to be around right like people like having conversations with you would you say that that is part of the reason like would you agree that that is part of the reason for your success uh not to toot my own horn but i will um <laughs> uh yeah i agree with that just because like you said like being personable i think in a you know in corporate america is very important um and it's, it's not i mean part of it is, is a front right but at the same time like i think just naturally as a person you know i always got along with people well um yeah. There wasn't many people, at least that I know of, that like disliked me for whatever reason, and um, yeah. and I was always respectful, you know. Um, mm. So I always, I always treated people with respect. So um, yeah, like so, especially in a consulting setting, um, I guess like team collaboration within your team is is very important. So yeah. you know, I, I feel like half the battle is like if you just it's like it's either you show up and you can get along with the people that you work with. You know that's like half half the game right there, regardless of your mm. performance. Mm. So, yeah, I, I would I would agree that that's definitely you know led to whatever successes I've had in my career. Yeah, and you know, now kind of sitting on having heard your your story, I think there are other things that the, that we should tell the listeners. Um, I think one of the reasons why you fell so hard into some of the things that you did in college is because at home you you have a fair load of responsibility uh, more so than the average person at home right uh I, I mean growing up i don't think i ever really acknowledged that or thought that just because you know that's mm-hmm. what my life was you know that's all i knew um yeah i guess you could say that and to provide some context around it um, I have, uh, I'm, I'm assuming you're talking about my brother, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, my brother has a condition called cerebral palsy. 
Um, so he was born premature. So, you know, he has um, learning disability uh, and, uh, you know, physical disabilities as well. Um, yeah. So he's what? He's 27 now. Holy crap. Wow. <laughs> Just, uh, <laughs> that's, that's weird to say out loud. Um, Wow. But yeah, but you know, he's still to this day unable to walk on his own without, you know, mm. um, some assistance like, you know, with like what are you, crutches or crutches. like a walker or something like that. Um, so, so definitely, I think growing up, it was a little challenging in the sense my parents were always focused on my brother. Um, so I think maybe just from that development standpoint, damn I'm getting so uh <laughs> um personal here is maybe I just lacked the affection and like love I guess from like my parents that like other kids mm. may have received mm. um like I always knew like, even gr even growing up like I always knew my parents loved me and I mean they're great parents right um they've given me everything I ever needed um and I'm and I appreciate them so much but I think one of the things that I lacked, I guess, was some of just, you know, the little things like, you know, the time or, you know, the words of affirmation sometimes. Um, and that, I think that's a mix of like maybe just my family dynamic plus like a cultural thing where, yeah. for example, like, you know, Korean fathers don't really say Mishigashi stuff, right? So. Right. Yeah. And, but not, not only that, but you also had the added responsibility of needing to take care of your brother. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, all the years I've known you, um, you've always kind of put your brother as priority. Mm -hmm. um, there were plenty of times where we we're hanging out and you brought your brother along, um, which we all enjoy. Right. But just ha needing to think of someone else other than yourself when you're, especially when you're that young, um, I remember like when you first started driving even like one of your major duties was you know driving your brother around um, so it's not a surprise to see someone in that environment suddenly kind of let loose to live their own life and without you know supervision it, right? yeah you know I never thought of it that way um, but yeah I think I think that would contribute to that um and also you know my parents you know you know this they were they're 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 pretty strict when i was growing up yeah. so the added responsibility and just the all the restrictions that i had around me that maybe some of my friends at the time didn't have it just made me like yeah so when i got into college and away from all like you know all those like those chains were kind of like taken off me you know i really just went nuts um <laughs> But, you know, at the end of the day, um, I think like everything that happened in terms of, you know, my upbringing, you know, my family situation, whatever, it's, I'm really grateful for it because it's, it's helped me like develop a level of understanding and empathy and stuff mm -hmm. like that, that not many people I think would get like naturally, mm -hmm. right? So I had that instilled into me as like at an early age. So I think it's really just, it's really created the personality that I have today. Um, and not everyone's going to agree that I'm a, it's a good personality, but I would like to think most people do. So yeah, for that, for that reason, I'm grateful. Mm -hmm. So just to kind of recap, mm -hmm. um, you, although you fell into you know, poker, um, and did you, I, I forgot. I forgot to ask while you were telling the story. When you got out of the whole poker game, mm -hmm. were you in debt at all, or did you come out with money? Um, <laughs> I have a story. Um, I remember kind of the last day, like the the last straw, just as you can say. So I think I had like maybe like I don't know, like seven or eight thousand dollars, like say saved, wow. right? Mm. Um, for my for my exodus uh, yeah. of this of this life, and I remember there was this one night. Um, for any of you card players out there, uh, it was a uh, we were doing a round round switch of uh, No Limit Texas Hold'em, and um, 
no limit up or yeah no limit no it's pot limit maybe it was pot limit i forgot but it was omaha so for for those of you that don't know what that is it's basically you get four cards instead of two right mm -hmm. and you're trying to make the best poker hand that you can with any of your two cards so if you think about it the possibilities are just that much more of what you can draw for right so that's when the gambling gets like a lot a lot more people are gambling at that point i mean there's still like strategy and math and all that stuff involved but um it didn't help that probably everyone i was playing with were also degenerates so like math and logic does not you know play a, a factor at these games um it's just like who has the biggest balls and who's willing to play mm -hmm. but anyways I remember, dude, I had such a bad night. I, I literally lost everything I had in one night. Huh. And I remember the the next morning, like not, not even next morning, it was like the end of the game. It was like 5, 6 a.m. And I remember having to drive to the bank like right when it opened to take all that money out um, to pay with my losses. And oh my dude, that's when I think it was like rock bottom. I was like, dude, like this is not worth it. Like there's like the yeah. like the highs are good, but the lows are pretty bad. And like it's just a roller coaster ride. There's no stability. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how that happened. Dude, I saw some crazy stuff, man. When I was doing that uh, that whole thing, like I saw like I saw like like I'll just just for context, like I'll, I'll talk I'll talk about like some of the biggest games I've seen. Um, and I wasn't playing in this one, but I was like working in it. When I say working in it, it's like you're actually a dealer for the poker game, right? And you get paid like hourly or whatever. Um, dude, like this was like a big game. The blinds are like 1025 or something dollars, right? Mm -hmm. so, and like, dude, these oh, wow. pots were getting like huge. And for anyone that's ever played at like an underground poker game, right? Like it doesn't, it's not like playing at the casino where there's like, you know, you bet four times the big blind or whatever, stuff like that. Dude, people like, it was like thousands and thousands of dollars. I think the biggest pot that I saw in my life was probably, that I was working was like probably like $25,000. Wow. Dude, it was insane. And you meet some interesting people, man, during that time. There's like, you know, you, you meet what you could call like elitists, like, you know, doctors, lawyers and stuff like that. But I remember, I remember one time, one of the players, like ex-football, like ex, like NFL stars were there. Wow. Um, oh, okay, last one, and I'll, I'll, I'll stop going off tangent. Dude, yeah. so as a dealer, you know, you're responsible for flipping the cards. Um, I remember I was dealing for this game, and it was, uh, was an ex-NFL safety that was involved in a hand and I misdealt it as in like I flipped the card over too soon before like the action was over huh. and that card I remember gave him like a straight he would have won that that hand but because I misdealt it I had to like you know it was a misdeal and then I had to like I forgot what I had to do but I, huh. basically the last card was not you know it was not the card that I was supposed to be hmm. dude and I remember he was so pissed. Like he slammed the table, and you know, if he's an ex NFL safety, he's he's a pretty he's a pretty big dude. And I I think I like up my waist above like above my waist. I was like pretty calm, dude. But like I think I probably pissed my pants. I was so scared. I thought I was gonna <laughs> fucking die that day. <laughs> was he was he like threat? Did he threaten you at all? No, I don't think he like threatened me like oh I'm gonna kill you kind of thing. But, um, I mean, he was visibly pissed. Like, he was like, you know, like, what are you going to do about it to, like, you know, make up for all the money I just lost? Uh. I mean, I'm like, what do you want me to do? You know, like, <laughs> I, I can't do anything. Um, yeah. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. Meet some interesting people in that, uh, in those environments for sure. Wow. That's crazy. I'm surprised I, I don't know more about I, you know what I think I um, actively stayed away from being too interested in that I think I was honestly worried that I would want to because I, I remember you telling me how much money you would make in a night mm -hmm. and I'm just too scared I don't trust myself enough to dabble in those things that would I'm sure I would fall super hard yeah you know even now 
you know, I'm, I'm 32. Wow. That sounds old. I'm 32 years old. And to this day, it still impacts my life in terms of like my, like, I think it's ruined my concept of money. Like it's gotten a lot better, Mm. but you know, when you, when you, when you're able to get money that fast, right. At an early age, um, the, the value of money doesn't really stick with you. Right. Right. So like, I remember like even after like I graduated school and started working, like, you know, no one's really making that much money right out of school. So, you know, like a thousand dollars, for example, it's, it's a lot. I mean, even now it's a lot. Right. But like, dude, like I didn't think anything of it. Like I was like thinking, Oh dude, like I can go out and spend a thousand dollars in one night and I would have no regrets until wow. yeah months later when like my credit card bill would rack up um <laughs> oh, hey can i can i tell a funny story about credit cards of course of course i remember uh, <laughs> you uh you you're talking to me one day and i forget if i told you this or you found out and you were freaking out but you had a credit card and there was sizable debt there was some debt on it uh-huh. and you thought that <laughs> if you canceled the credit card the interest on it would freeze and then you wouldn't have to pay it. And I remember saying, I don't think that's how it works. And you left it there just accruing interest for, for yes. several months. I yes. Remember. I remember this. Uh, it wasn't several months, bro. It was like, was it? I think a couple of years. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like I think from a, from an early dude, actually was he, it was you. My first credit card ever. Do you remember that? I think it? I was 16, right? I didn't even credit, but like, you know, Banana Republic and stuff would send you like, you know, like credit card offers. I was thinking mm-hmm. in my head, like, I think I had a credit limit of 300 bucks or something or 200 bucks. And I was like, oh, so I can, are you saying I can like buy clothes and not have to pay for it? Mm. It's And obviously I like maxed it out with like, you know, new clothes and then i had no money to pay it off with and i think uh-huh. i i did i was 16 and i think i asked you to borrow 200 bucks yeah or something like that to pay it off and i will never forget that because i remember at that moment i was thinking man because 200 dollars at 16 is a lot i was like dude david david's the real one um <laughs> but you know that kind of you know character that you know acts of kindness you know like it meant just to me then as like, you know, you lended me like, you know, 50,000 today, mm, you know, like wow. it's, so that, that's like a story I'll never forget between us as well. Yeah. 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 No, you, that's uh, the story you told during your speech at my wedding. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I remember I was sitting and brainstorming and just think about stories and like, you know, like, hey, what are some good memories I have of David, like, doing stuff for me? Hmm. Um, and just to be clear, <laughs> I think in our friendship, you know, you've definitely done a lot for me, more more than I've done for you. So No, I don't, I don't agree with that. I mean, I, I, mean, just the, I only stopped just you from things. being a, a drug addict, heroin <laughs> addict, so. Exactly. Yeah. Well, hold on one second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Okay. Wait, is that is that Daniel? Yeah, yeah. Just walked in. You know, uh, it's funny. Your current roommate Daniel now he actually has a part in the story that we told where uh, that you, where you took me off that trajectory mm-hmm. of becoming a drug addict. I remember immediately after you pulled me away. We we I don't know why, but we were together with Daniel, um, and mm-hmm. I told him what you did, and he he told me. Bro, if I were you, I would have punched Andrew in the face and gone back after that guy. Hey, so, so I'm glad. Aren't you glad it wasn't Daniel that uh, intercepted you? Um, yeah, it was. Uh, thankfully, it was uh, you who got to me before Daniel did. <laughs> I'm gonna tell Daniel that after this. Uh, see, dude, if it was for yeah. you, David might be like a felon. Who knows? Um, yeah, no, but um, yeah, just. Thanks, thanks for sharing about your life because I think some of the really valuable lessons we as listeners can take from it is work ethic goes a lot a long way. Um, being having a goal 
um, can help you really get back on track if you find yourself being distracted or, or having taken detours. Yeah. Um, and, and just your, uh, being personable, um, is, is a huge thing, having a good personality. Um, cause I think those three things really did, um, help you from what I'm hearing. It really did help you kind of. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I guess one other thing to add to that is, um, I think, I think a lot of my time in my twenties, I was very, you know, down on myself for kind of being set back. Right. So, mm. you know, everyone's, everyone's on their own pace. So I just wanted people to understand that, like, you know, you're always going to be behind someone in this race that we call life. So, you know, go at your own pace. Um, there's always ways to turn things around. And, yeah, for sure. Uh, I guess my story is just a small example of that. Yeah, that's a great example of that. Well, um, is there anything that, that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to, we didn't cover yet? Yeah, you know, I think I could talk hours about stories between like us growing up, but uh, I think that's for another time. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, uh, thank thanks so much for being on, Andrew. Um, for for the listeners, if you have any questions or any thoughts about what we talked about today, if you if you want to connect with Andrew because he's he's just a great guy to know. Feel free to leave me any messages at ihthtpodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at I hope they hear this or on Twitter at ihthtpodcast. And uh, Andrew, again, thank you so much for being on. Uh, I'm sure as soon as we're done recording this, we're going to go to uh, StarCraft. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. So, um, but seriously, <laughs> man, it's, it's an honor to, uh, to be on here. Yeah. So I appreciate you having me. No, this was really fun. I'm, I'm glad we finally got to do this. Mm. Um, thank, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you, Andrew, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye.